Shia is sponsored by the friends of David Wicksell in his memory. Lilui Nishmat David Ben Mordechai Shmuel Zichrona Libracha. You know, Moshe Rabbeinu, the story of Moshe Rabbeinu's attempt to refuse the charge that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him is kind of appears in the Torah in two, in two sections. Uh, to us, I think today, it seems quite remarkable that anybody could refuse a direct order from God. It just doesn't seem to sort of make any sense especially if the person was absolutely confident that it was God who was speaking to him and not some other voice in the darkness. But we have, uh, uh, we have Yonah, right, who ran away. But some of the Chazal see that, say that he, his running away was a technical thing. In other words, he thought that Perhaps prophecy didn't apply in Chutzlaretz. Maybe uh, he just wouldn't have to do it. He was trying to work for the benefit of Am Yisrael, Yonah, I mean. And Yonah, because he was working for Am Yisrael, uh, ran away. He decided he didn't want to bring the prophecy to Nineveh because it would make us look bad if they did uh, uh, repent if they did tshuva. So uh, Yonah is a little bit different. It's not that Yonah didn't realize that it was a direct command from heaven or that God wanted it to be in a certain way. But it, it was rather that Yonah was looking out for the benefit of his people, which is, after all, the job of a Navi. I mean, he's the Navi to the people. So in this case, he was working for Am Yisrael in a kind of odd way, but working for Am Yisrael. So he wasn't, uh, he didn't think that the, uh, that the shlichut was not real. He just thought that it was a denial of his original shlichut, which was to do something good for Bnei Yisrael. And that's the way Chazal see it. But in, in our story, Moshe Rabbeinu is rejecting right at the outset. When Moshe Rabbeinu meets up with God at the Sneh Habu'er, right in the burning, the burning bush, uh, right away, Moshe Rabbeinu is uh, disagreeing. If you look at Perak Dalit, after Moshe Rabbeinu is explained, what the charge is and what he's supposed to do. Here in the Psukim, just Psukim, we'll go through them together. Vayan Moshe, Vayomer, Vayen lo ya'aminu li. Hey lo ya'aminu, I mean the word ya'aminu is, uh, I mean, you have to remember it. It's an important word. Uh, why should I lo ya'aminu li? Why not? Velo yishbu b'koli ki niyomru. But what? What do they think that Moshe Rabbeinu is a liar? That he came, so why, why, why is he doing this? I mean, why would anybody come to free the Jews from Egypt if he was not, in fact, an emissary of God? I mean, it's absolute madness. So, uh, 
That's the first pasuk. Pasuk bet. Yomei lav Hashem. Mazeh. Yadecha v'yomer mateh. And he shows him the mateh v'yomer. Ashlichayu arza. Ashlichayu arza v'yilinachash v'yinas. Moshe v'yipanav. So the mateh, the staff, turned into a snake. And it frightened Moshe. It was so real that it frightened uh, Moshe. Vayom Hashem Moshe shalach yadcha v'choz b'znavo grab onto its tail v'yishlach yadov v'yichazik bo v'yilamateh b'chapo so it turned back into a into a staff. L'man yaminu Hashem says it's a miracle you'll do this miracle and they will believe you ki nirei lecha Hashem v'lokeavotam Abraham, Yaakov. Of course, man, this is not true. Because Moshe Rabbeinu did it, and they didn't believe him. Right? This, uh, this whole thing is getting confused. How is it that God is telling Moshe Rabbeinu to say something in order that they should believe him, but they don't believe him? It seems something, something odd. So then you have the second sign, which is he put his hand into his cloak and he took it out and he was leprous. Uh, so here, Chazal uh, uh, offer the distinction between the mateh that turned into a snake and the hand that became leprous and say that after all, the mateh that turned into a snake, I mean, it didn't affect Moshe Rabbeinu. He wasn't affected. But when his hand turned into, became leprous, so that affected him. He suffered from it. Why should there be such a sign? Why should there be a sign in which Moshe Rabbeinu himself has to suffer? Chazal ask. So the answer, it must have something to do with Lashon Hara that Moshe Rabbeinu must have spoken Lashon HaRa about Am Yisrael. Okay, that's what, that's what Chazal said. Pasuk Zayin, Vayom Eshev Yedchan Chekecha, Veshev Yedol Chekov, Yosiyam Echekov, Yenei Shavu Kipsarov. He put his hand in again and he came out naturally. Vayayim lo yaminu lecha, v'lo yishmu lekol ha'ota rishon. And you, and so God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, if they don't pay attention to the first sign, they'll surely pay attention to the second sign. And you know that that's the halacha. The Torah says in Dvarim, that if a person comes and says, I'm a novi, hi. Someone actually came to me once and said that. And... Uh, Said I'm a Navi. It was one of my most interesting days. <laughs> so I said, I asked him, how do you know that you're a Navi? He says, well, I have these prophetic dreams. You know, God is telling me to do this and to do that. So I said, uh, and those are the signs. I have signs. I said, could you show me some of these signs? He took out a notebook 
in which he had recorded all of these signs that he had. They were more like geometric patterns. He's like very sensible. Geometric patterns. I couldn't figure out whether he was like normal or abnormal. I, I couldn't figure it out from just looking at him. Of course, I was prejudiced being brought up in the Western secular world. Anybody who talks about the spiritual revelation must be crazy. So I said, You're crazy. And that was the end of it. <laughs> I don't know what I would say today. Maybe the same thing. But in any event, the Torah says there are two miracles that an aspiring prophet has to be able to do. And if he does two miracles, he might be a prophet. We're never sure. But we are sure of one thing. If the guy who's a prophet tells you to do something against the Torah, then he's out. Doesn't matter how many miracles he does. Doesn't matter how many wonders he's able to. So prophecy as a, as a message came to an end with the Torah. You, you understand? The Rambam, when he talks about prophecy, he talks about a spiritual condition that people can aspire to. But that spiritual condition doesn't have to have a message. Doesn't, you don't have to come with a message to B'nai Israel to be a prophet. A prophet is the name of the person who achieves spiritual heights. That's what he's according to the Rambam. And also the Ramban at a later date says more or less the same thing. So that I, I say that prophecy came to an end with the Torah. Tanakh or just Humash? No prophecy. Nevi'im. There are no Nevi'im after Matan Torah. So I'll say it again. There are no prophets after Matan Torah. If you say that prophecy, that prophecy is a message, there's no message because it's all in the Torah. The only thing a prophet can say is keep Shabbos. Okay, so he's a prophet and he says keep Shabbos, but you can't say that the message is something special. The message is known to everybody. Everybody knows that you're supposed to keep Shabbos. So a prophet is a person who has achieved a spiritual high. He's spiritually exalted, but he has nothing to say. He has really nothing to say. I know the Rambam says something a little different, but what I mean is that basically, basically you don't expect, what do you, what do you expect? What is Yirmiyahu going to say? If you don't keep the Torah, there's going to be a terrible destruction. But that's not a new message. That's in the Chumash. That's in the Chumash. In other words, the Chumash is the default position for all Jewish uh, uh, statements. There's nothing that the Navi can say that goes beyond or precedes 
the Chumash. So the prophet doesn't have a message. That's why learning the Vim is boring. You have to excuse me, those of you who find it interesting. But generally speaking, the prophet and the Nevi'im are boring because they don't say anything that we don't know already. It was we sometimes, it might be interesting to read the names in the books of the Nevi'im and try to figure out who's who. Okay, it's sometimes interesting books of Nevi'im to figure out where is everybody? Where are these places that are mentioned? And have Israeli architect, uh, archaeologists been there? Okay. But there's nothing in the books of the prophets that is different or added on to whatever is in the Chumash. That's why. That's one of the reasons why. In Yeshivot, they didn't generally learn Tanakh. It's one of the reasons. There may have been other reasons, but that's one of the reasons that in Yeshivot they didn't learn Tanakh. Because they knew it already. Now they may not have known all the words, and they may not have known all of the phrases, and they may not have known all the variations and the uses of words, you know, like modern day investigations. But they knew all the ideas. They knew that you're not allowed to be Mechalal Shabbos. They knew that. So what difference does it make if Yirmiyahu says, don't be Mechalal Shabbos? I'm going to lose this discussion. <laughs> it's okay. I'm willing to lose a few. Does but that apply to Midrash also? Do what? That there's nothing new added? In Midrash? Yeah. Midrash there is. A lot of new things in Midrash. I mean, new ways of looking at things, new conversations that might have taken place. I'm talking about the hardcore information. In, in terms of hardcore information, the Midrash also doesn't necessarily teach us anything new, but it gives us ideas. Sometimes even the Nevi'im give us ideas. Ah, sometimes. Oh, sometimes. <laughs> but it's not like, look at Yoshua. Yoshua is a very interesting book, the book of Yoshua. But after the Pasuk says, it sort of runs out of steam. Now that's like really something. That's an exciting moment. So Yoshua, uh, you know, he ran around here, ran out there, he captured this city, he captured that city. Here's a list of all the kings that he beheaded. Well, I don't know. Those of you who think that's a message, maybe it is. I don't know. The concept of Mashiach really isn't developed in the Torah, but it is in, uh, I guess, in Daniel. Daniel, if you mean Daniel. Yeah, Daniel's a good example. The main thing you could say about Daniel is that not only don't I know what it's talking about, <laughs> but Daniel didn't know what it was talking about, which, which I think is remarkable. 
Now, there's a book in the, in the Tanakh written by a person who didn't understand what he was saying. So once you figure that out, I'll reconsider my position. But I don't think, uh, I think Daniel is, uh, I mean, the, you, know, you know when they learned Daniel? You know who studies in Beis Yaakov, they learned Daniel. Because it takes up a lot of time. You have to translate the Aramaic words into Hebrew. And then you have to read the Rashi. And when you finish with that, you have to, the shear is over. So it's good. That's what I think. That's why they like Daniel. Anyway, there are two miracles that prove that you're a prophet. But no prophet can speak anything outside of the boundaries of Torah. And therefore I said, that there is no prophecy. If you define prophecy as a message, the last prophet with a, mes with a message was Moshe Rabbeinu. And his message was perfect. His message was perfect. And so this whole story here about Lo Yaminu then, and Ken Yaminu, a little pasuk tet, Vayam Lo Yaminu there's a third miracle, right? There's the Mateh, there's the Yad, Mateh Nachash. There's the Yad Amtsura, and then there's Dam. Right? Then there's Dam. But so Giyud Vayom Moshev Hashem Biyadonai. Lo Ishtvarim Anochi Gam Mitmol Gam Ishtl Shol Gam Vazda Berchal Abdecha. This is a total mystery. Of course, he wasn't chosen because he was a, a reality uh, uh, MC. He was chosen because he was Moshe Rabbeinu. Because he had special qualities. Was he arguing with God about how, why he was chosen? That he is a good speaker, he's not a good speaker. I mean, does this make any sense to you? To me, it makes no sense at all. How could Moshe Rabbeinu say that? And without Chazal, Chazal explained that he actually, something happened to him, and he was unable to speak properly because there was a coal that fell into his mouth and singed his lip, his tongue, and therefore he couldn't speak. But we see at the continuation of, of uh, he talks all the time. Nobody ever mentions that he can't talk. When Moshe Rabbeinu for 38 years taught the people in the desert the Torah, did somebody say, could you get us somebody else to teach in your place? Can I say the word you say? No. Not that, we, not that it's recorded in the Torah. So what exactly is Moshe Rabbeinu saying? defends, so to speak, himself and says, what are you worried about? I'll replace, we have replacement parts. I'll replace your lashon, I'll replace your pet. I'll replace, you know, like what people, what they do today, you know, what do they call that? Reconstructive surgery. Today, they reconstruct anything. 
any part of your body can be reconstructed, or at least almost. So that's what HaKadosh Baruch says to, to Moshe Rabbeinu, reconstructive surgery. Vayom Hashem ilav misam peh la'adam. V'atalech pasuk yudbet v'anochi keyem picha v'orei ticha. Asher tedaber. Okay. So this is Moshe Rabbeinu discussion with the Kodesh Baruch Hu, where we don't understand, we don't understand exactly what the argument is about. We don't understand what the argument is about. At the end of the parasha, this is the parasha of Shemos, in the end of the parasha of Shemos, the next source on the sheet, V'yashot Moshe Hashem V'yom Adonai Lama Hare'ota Lama Zeh Lama Zeh Shalachtani that's really a tough one. Lama Hariyota, you remember Moshe Rabbeinu came and tried to tell Paro, we're on our way, and Paro made it more difficult for the slaves to do their work. And Moshe Rabbeinu goes to Kodesh Baruch and says, Lama Hariyota, Lama Zeh, Lama why did you make things bad for the people? Why did you send me? And Rashi says, Understand Rashi says, Im if you say, you Moshe Rabbeinu, Im I'm sorry, Moshe Rabbeinu says to God, Im if you God would say, Mach it's none of your business. It's, things are better for them, worse for them. This is part of my master plan. So if that's if that's the case, I'm complaining that you sent me. Right? If I can't complain about why things are bad, in, in, in other words, I, I'm a leader. I'm, I'm somehow the intermediary between God and B'nai Israel. So I come to God and I say, why did, why did you do this? So I figure I'm doing my job. I'm doing the job I'm supposed to do. I'm leading B'nai Yisrael, but I'm the emissary, God's emissary to B'nai Yisrael, which should mean that I could complain to God also if things don't work out well. So, so he says, He says, it's none of your business. If you say to me that that's not my business, that's not what I was sent to do. That's not my charge. Then kovel ani al shishalachtani. So then I'm unhappy that you sent me, because I thought that I would be able to protect Bnei Israel, and now it seems that I can't. Okay. Pasukat gimol my azbat el parole de bebishnechay ravamazeh vatzelo itzalta et amecha. So he calls calls God to task. He says, since I've come to save the people, things have only gotten worse. <clears throat> you didn't save them. You didn't save the people. Rashi says, he just tries to say it's the, for those of you who remember, your stay in Ulpan, they say uh, a verbal form, 
called Hefil, which usually means I do it, I do it actively to somebody else, right? He'll be at Hatinok, he dressed the baby, did it to the baby. That's Hefil. So, Heira, the Shon Hefilu, here by Ra'ali, it's as though Moshe Rabbeinu is accusing God of making things worse for them. It's God's fault, which is worse than just saying Lama Ariyota, Lama Zed, which could mean, why did you just let it happen? Why did you let this bad situation take place? Okay, finally we're up to, uh, we're up to our parasha, parasha Vaira. So there's an oblique answer to the question. The question is, why are things bad? And the answer is, they'll be good at the end. At the end, everything will be as it should be. Ushmi Hashem lo nodati lahem. So this is like a, a theological review. It's something that God wants to say to Moshe Rabbeinu. And he starts off saying it in this way. I appear to Avram Yitzchak Yaakov with the name Kel Shaddai. It's a, a name of, a divine name. Ushmi Yud Kevav Kei. I'm not interested in the fact that this doesn't even seem to be correct. That certainly the name Shindalayud was used at the beginning in Breshit as well. But what exactly could it mean? What it could what could mean? So if you look in the uh, at the, the Rashi. The Rashi to Pasuk Bet. It says, Vayadaver Elohim. You see? Vayadaver Elohim. Elohim, as you know, is Din. The easy way to remember, Breshit Vara Elohim, Eta Shemaim Betaharz. When God created the world, it was with Din, meaning that there were rules. And if you didn't keep the rules, you got zapped. There was no mercy. There was only mercy if you deserved mercy. But you didn't get mercy from Din. Now that setup apparently didn't work. It didn't work because in the second chapter of Breshit, it mentions that the Briah was the result of the world, the work of Hashem Elohim. Hashem Elohim, Yud Kei Elohim, Hashem is Rachamim, that the world did not work according to Din. I mean, it worked, but it would have been destroyed right away. So it had to be reestablished as a world of Din through Rachamim. Din through Rachamim. So now, you see, Elohim, Moshe Elohim Rashi, Tiber Ito Mishpat, so Rashi says, 
that Moshe Rabbeinu is getting his comeuppance here, that he's being uh, uh, put down by Hashem, is because he said, and you don't say that to God. That's not one of the options, but this is what Rashi says. He learns that from the word Elokim. Elokim means din. Din means that Moshe Rabbeinu did something wrong. And what he did wrong, according to Rashi, was saying, Lama Hariota, Lama Hariota, Lama Zeh, right? Lama Hariota, Lama Zeh. Vayel the rest of the Pasuk. In other words, Ani Hashem Yud is Rachamim. So the Rachamim is in spite of the din against Moshe Rabbeinu, Bnei Yisrael will still be treated mercifully. And the promise that God made to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov will be kept. Will be kept. Then Rashi says, says this, explaining the divine position. I didn't send you Moshe Rabbeinu for no reason at all. I didn't send you in order that things should get worse for Bnei, for Bnei Israel. I sent you in order to uh, protect the promise that I made to Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Ubelashon hazeh matzinu nidrash mikomot. And he says, and this kind of phrasing is what we have found in different places of the Torah, in the places of the Torah. Ani Hashem ne'eman lipara. Right, Ani Hashem ne'eman. The word ne'eman means faithful. Faithful to what? Faithful to the promise. That's what we call in more modern kind of Hebrew, bitachon. We are certain, this is a, a quality of Am Yisrael, right? The stubbornness of Am Yisrael throughout history derives from the fact, to some extent, I, mean, I don't know. I, mean, I like to say bombastic things, but they don't, they could take them with a grain of salt. Comes from the fact that we always thought we were going to go back to Eretz Yisrael. So if you always think that you're going to go back to Eretz Yisrael and circumstances that might wipe out other groups are not going to wipe us out because we're going back to Eretz Yisrael. Because we have like a, a goal, there's a purpose to our history. So that kept us alive and, and even though not all the Jews in history were able to maintain that standard, many were. And so we continue to exist, which is pretty remarkable. So that the Hashem neman mipara, kishu omer. I'm sorry, let me clash the third kind of way. Right, v'lashon hazem atzinu shuv nidrash, v'kama mikomot ani Hashem 
Ne'eman and what it says, Adi Hashem, the drush, the way Chazal read it is, Ne'eman Lipara, I'm faithful to do as I promised. That's what Adi Hashem means. Onesh, and where it, uh, okay, where it is in these kind of psukim that refer to punishment. Kigon, Rechilat Hashem, Elokecha, Ani Hashem. Are you talking about someone who defiles the Beit HaMikdash? Kishu Amurei Tzokiyu Mitzvot, Kigon Nushmartem Mitzvotai, Asitem Otam Ani Hashem, Neman Litein Tzachat, so Ani Hashem. Those words, Ani Hashem, according to Rashi, are properly translated as a phrase. It's like a truncated phrase. The phrase is Ani Hashem Neman Lip. That's what the phrase is. Even though in the Pasuk, all it says is Ani Hashem. Ani Hashem is like, uh, you know, it's only part of a statement. There's nothing missing. And according to Rashi, what's missing is always missing in this kind of a, in this kind of a phrase. Okay, so then I punish Bahu says in Pasukei, V'gam ani shamati yedakat b'nei Yisrael, Hashem Mitzrayim avidim otam, v'eskoret briti v'gam ani. And so he says to Moshe Rabbeinu, what are you worried about? I sent you because I remembered that that time had come, that I had to fulfill the covenant. Right? so this is the famous, you know, the Arba Kosot on Pesach are somehow connected to these psukim. The fifth coast. Fifth coast that people want to deny today. We'd rather, we'd rather stick with Trump than Veiveti. Too bad. And the Hashem, by the Ben Moshe Kena, Ben Yisrael, Ben Hashem, Ben Moshe, because of Ruach Me'avoda, Me'avoda Kasha. Okay, let's look at the Rashi. Because of Ruach, because of Ruach means they were tired. Avoda Kasha, they were hard, hard work. Lo Shamu, Lo Shamu El Moshe. You see, Pasuk Tet, look again, by the Ben Moshe Kena, Ben Yisrael. So Moshe now had a message, an enhanced message. The message wasn't just, let my people go, right, which didn't work, apparently. First time around, he went to Paro. He said, let my people go. And Paro was not impressed that he was sitting on a chair, on an elevated chair. And Moshe Rabbeinu was standing on the ground. So how could, how could Paro be impressed? So he said, forget about it and you're annoying me, and so we will double the, the quantity of bricks, but keep the, the, the straw the same, so you'll have to go and get more straw on your own. 
That's what happened. So here Moshe Rabbeinu felt he was, he was a failure. So he turned to God and he said, how did you let this happen? How did you let this happen? Doesn't he's so insightful of... Uh, so then God gave him a longer, more detailed message to bring back to B'nai Yisrael. And that longer, more detailed message was, there's a promise, and there's a past, and there's Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, and, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu recognizes that that promise has to be fulfilled, and it will be fulfilled, and you will leave Mitzrayim, and you'll you'll expand it. It's much more than let my people go. It's more than that. And yet, as a result of that big speech, if you look at the Rashi, it puts it They didn't accept his consolation. He's like, I know you're working hard. It's, things are tough, but it's going to be good. And they said, well, we'd rather it was good than it's going to be good. I mean, like, you know, anybody can say that. So Rashi said, this, is a, this phrase, comes from a, a reality that people who work hard and are tired, you know, they, they become breathless or they, uh, it's difficult for them to breathe. So that's what Rashi says. Shamati Parashas of me, Rabbi Baruch, Rabbi Eliezer, one of the Baleatosafot. You know that Rashi did not work alone on this great project that he undertook to write a commentary all of Shas and all of the Tanakh. But he didn't, he didn't work at all alone. I mean, he had students and he had Rebbeim and he had uh, apparently a wonderful, a wonderful memory. But he had people working with him, so he sometimes writes who he, he, uh, who he heard from. And this is Rabbi Baruch, Rabbi Lozave, Vili Raya, Mimi Krasi, Vama Zoto, the aim at Yadiv, at Gurativ, at Uki, Shmi Hashem, Lamanu Jagarish Bohum, Amen, at Varab. Rashi loves that word, right? Amen, Emunah. It's, it's, it's to verify and to make sure that everybody understands that God keeps the promise. That's what it's all about. My main etivarav. Afilu lepuranut modiya Even to do something terrible, to punish. He announces that his name is Hashem. Because she gave certainly for good things. Here's the important addition of Rashi, that this somehow goes back to the beginning. Moshe said to God, why did you make things so bad? Remember, Pasuk at the end of Barakay, which we learned. Amrullah, <laughs> says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Oi, 
I'm thinking about those who are gone, but are not forgotten. Yesh mi al mitat avot. I can complain about the death of the fathers. I appeared to them many times. I promised them many things. They never complained. They never said, who are you? What are you? They accepted it. But Amarta, it's not on the sheet. But you remember the passing Mashmo? And so the ultimate, the ultimate uh, kind of accusation against Moshe Rabbeinu is about to be made in his comparing him to the Avot, to Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov. Become Hakimoti, Shebikesh Abraham, Likvoet, Sarav, Lovetzaikeva, Achekanabedamirubim. Remember, Abraham wanted to bury Sarah. He didn't have any place to bury her. What do you mean they have a place to bury her? God told Abraham if he knew that Eretz Israel belongs to him. It's his. So if it's his, how come he can't bury her? So he knew that the forces that existed wouldn't allow it. So he went to the B'nai Chait in Hebron and he bought Achuzat Kever. He bought a place to bury his wife. But he never said that the divine promise has not been kept, that I don't own Eretz Yisrael. Yitzchak had trouble with the wells that he dug. They came to him, the foolish foolish to me and said, those are our wells. They're not your wells. Then Toto and he got the Sukkot, and he he bought a piece of land in order to put up his 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 tent. And they never said the Avot. They never said there's something wrong with the divine promise. There's something cockeyed here. I have to buy a black land in the land that I own. That's odd. It's very odd. Not a, it's not a bad lesson for today, either. And you, Moshe Rabbeinu, are coming to evaluate my action in history, how God is, is working it out. Okay, we'll stop. We'll stop here. Even though the rest of the Rashi is also important, I just want to want to, want to make sure that we understand that according to Rashi, according to Rashi, the Moshe Rabbeinu did not seem to have sufficient faith, and so he calls into question the promise to which God answers. I know the promise, and I'll keep the promise, and there's no doubt about the promise. And chaval al da'avdin v'lo mishtachim. I remember the others, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, would never have done what you did, and never have said what you said. Right? And so it leaves me a little unhappy with the uh, kind of answer. 
So, you know, to understand all of this stuff and a little bit more, which we have not uh, brought to bear, I want to give you uh, two interpretations. I'll give you my interpretation, and then I'll tell you Rav Nossin's interpretation. I'll give you my interpretation first, because if I don't, we won't get to it. This way, we will get to it. You can ask, what we need Moshe Rabbeinu for? What do you need Moshe Rabbeinu for? If you needed somebody to go to B'nai Israel and say, look, back up, fill your knapsacks, don't take too much, whether it be in the desert, you'll eat miraculously, you'll drink miraculously, your clothing will never wear out, don't take anything. You take a regular knapsack, I will go, and I tell you to go, we'll go. Now that job could be done by anybody. I suppose you have to be a little more than nobody. But it's not the kind of, for example, Aaron Cohen. He could have done that job. And to a certain extent, he did do that job. What exactly was Moshe Rabbeinu's position in Yitziat Mitzrayim? Okay, he did a few miracles, but he didn't do them. I God did them. Anybody could have waved the staff as long as God was going to allow him to perform a miracle. So it seems to me, it seems to me that Moshe Rabbeinu, the issue of Moshe Rabbeinu was and always will remain the ne'emanut that Moshe Rabbeinu had to generate in order to be believed that the Torah that he is teaching it's really the Torah. Because, after all, when Moshe Rabbeinu taught the Torah to B'nai Yisrael, he went into the Olamu'ed, learned another chapter, came out, and he taught it to B'nai Yisrael. Now, they know that he wasn't fooling them. How did he know that Moshe Rabbeinu was not making it up? as he went along. In, in the other words, Moshe Rabbeinu had to achieve a level of ne'emanut, which was akin to the level of ne'emanut that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to have in history. Just like B'nai Yisrael had to get to the point where they understood that if God promised, it would be. They had to get to the point where they understood that if Moshe Rabbeinu says this is the Torah, then this is the Torah. So that Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who brought this thinking into the world. The thinking that there is ne'emanut, that even when you don't have a specific proof, it will still be true. And just like a Kaddish Baruch who promised B'nai Yisrael that they would get Eretz Yisrael, and the Avot believed that, so too, eventually, Moshe Rabbeinu, the God who promised B'nai Yisrael the Torah, through uh, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu. So that this is a theme which I think responds to a lot of the questions that we asked as we were learning, because we were learning the Pesukim. Moshe Rabbeinu is not 
is not about leadership in the conventional sense. It's not about getting them out of Mitzrayim. I mean, anybody could do that. It's not about talking to Paro. Uh, Aaron could do that very well. Uh, he is about creating this idea that God has, uh, uh, if God promises, it will be. And so when the Jews were at Har Sinai, they received a little bit of the Torah. A little bit. A little bit of Torah. And the promise that God made that the rest of the Torah would be given to them through Moshe Rabbeinu. And they were ready to accept that. They were ready to accept that idea that the Torah would be given to them through Moshe Rabbeinu so that what Moshe Rabbeinu was in charge of, what Moshe Rabbeinu was teaching them, was that when God says something, it will be, even if at a later date it might seem that it didn't happen or hasn't happened yet. So that's what, that's what I think. That's what I think, generally speaking, is the pshat. Now if we look at the page two, you see the kuti alachot. You know that this is a book in which Rav Nachman, Rav Nasser, sort of applies the teachings of Rav Nachman of Ratzlov to the Shulchan Aruch. It's a very remarkable work, very remarkable work. Um, very difficult, very difficult to access. Because how would anybody know that it's an Ilchot repeat? I mean, unless you really knew it all about that. But today, the, the Bratzlers, because they're like all of a sudden filled with energy, put out a Chumash with the parish of Rav Nosson. You know, as they quote the relevant sections. So it's kind of a shortcut. Not kind of a shortcut. It's the only possibility. How else could you ever get anywhere? So it's very good. I mean, if you're interested in that kind of thing. So it says in the second line, Kol ha-vikuchim b'in Hashem yitbarach o'bein Moshe Rabbeinu v'yan shlichuto v'yol Yisrael. All of the arguments that Moshe Rabbeinu had with HaKadosh Baruch Hu about him being sent to redeem Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu said, No, I don't want to go. Hashem Yitbarach ekpid alav, v'chrich olay leich b'shuchut l'galav. He says, God actually forced Moshe Rabbeinu to, to do this. It's all about truth. Even Sadiqim, even Sadiqim, but Sadiqim means uh, people not quite on the level of Rav Nachman. There were other Sadiqim, but they, you know, had, they had difficulty. Rakhol Sadiq with Sadiq Mivarer Ha'emet, Kifiyigiyatom Utachom. Avonatai Sadiq gets to the truth in as far as he is able. There are always trials that beset him. 
כי בהכרח שיהיה לו בחירה כל ימי חייו. He says he certainly has free will all his life. ועיקר הבחירה הוא בעניין בירור האמת לאמיתו. That's the בחירה. He can choose to discover the truth, the real truth, the truth of what is synonymous with Torah, what the Torah really means, what the Torah really wants, what God really wants. I mean, that all that is emet. Okay. אפילו משה רבינו היה ממהר ללך בשליחות השם יתברך, בכל מחמת ריבוי האור שלו. משה רבינו didn't want to go because of this a tremendous amount of light that he had. כי בקדושת חוכמתו ידע האמת, שקשה מאוד להושיע לישראל, ישועה שלמה בתכלית עד הסוף, הנה He knew, Moshe Rabbeinu, that he would not be able to produce the product that he wanted to produce, that he would not be able to save them completely. And he wasn't. After, the, after uh, what happened at Harsina, they went and they built the golden calf. And it was forever and ever they were. And this is what Rabbeinu, what Rabbeinu means to say. She says elsewhere. He says, what do you mean they, 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 uh, they made the golden calf? Whatever the sin of the golden calf was, it produced an ongoing blemish in the soul of Am Yisrael. That's what the Pesach says. Never forgotten. The, 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 the hate of the golden calf never got so that Moshe Rabbeinu said, I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm not going to be able to bring them out of Mitzrayim and get them to the level, get them, B'nai Yisrael, to the level where they will really be. B'nai Yisrael will be a reflection of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. I'm not going to be able to do that. So he says, Ki ra'ash esopad lachto ulam rot kenegdo keneged Hashem yitbarak alapam bim b'tchilom. He saw in his mind's eye that they would deny divine authority again and again. And they would deny the authority of Moshe Rabbeinu again and again. So that Moshe Rabbeinu, according to Rav Nossam, his job was to get them to achieve some sort of perfection, ideological perfection, which Moshe Rabbeinu understood. But he also understood that he wouldn't succeed in the job. And since he wouldn't succeed in the job, he was not able to succeed in that job. He wanted, he, he begged God to let him off the hook. He didn't want to be responsible for a job poorly done. And so, uh, uh, again, at the end of line nine, the commercial Yabamet came. They tested me, God says. They, they, you know, they made it difficult. And therefore he wanted to exit this opportunity. He connected it somehow to his humility. He connected it somehow to his humility. 
So that Moshe Rabbeinu, because of his humility, was certain that he would not be able to do the job properly, that he would not succeed in bringing B'nai Israel to the level that they should be on in order to stand before Har Sinai to receive the Torah. And then after that, having received the Torah, to act, to act in accordance, to act in accordance with that receiving of the Torah. So this is the position of Rav Nosel. This is the position of Rav Nosel. There's a certain kind of correlation, maybe, in the, in the thinking. What I said, what I said was that, <coughs> that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, actually I'm kind of overwhelmed by Rav Nosel. Let's just summarize Rav Nosel. Rav Nosel says, that Moshe Rabbeinu understood that he was an emissary. But what does it mean to be an emissary of God? You have to succeed. And if you don't succeed, you're not an emissary. So Moshe Rabbeinu in his mind's eye saw that he was not going to succeed. So he said, let me off the hook, he said to God. He says, because in any event, I'm off the hook. In any event, I'm not your shaliach. Because it doesn't make sense to say that your shalich is going to fail in what he is doing. And the Kodesh Rosh said, no. No, that Bechirach of Shit, the free will choice, continues to exist. And therefore, you have to do the, you have to do the job. But you have to remember that Abraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov successfully navigated life to a kind of perfection. They, they just didn't do anything, anything wrong. And so we have to remember that. That's the perfection that we're connected to somehow. And that's, that's, what the, that's the essence of prayer. I stand before God because I recognize Avraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov, without which I wouldn't be able to daven because because I'm not worthy. I mean, it's easy enough not to be worthy. It's hard to stand before God. Okay. Uh, good job.